Business Women Rock, episode 41. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's going on, ladies? I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you so much for coming and for listening and being a part of this cool community. So appreciative of you. I will ask for one thing. If you absolutely love these interviews and you love this community, please share it with one of your girlfriends. It brings me no greater joy than to have somebody else say, oh, I heard about you through so-and-so. I heard about this podcast through so-and-so. Go share it on social media. Go share it with your girlfriends. These stories are so amazing. And the more that you share them, the greater impact they truly can have with women all over the world. So we are going to begin today like we do every Wednesday with our Business Women Wednesday series. And today's honorary superwoman for Business Women Wednesday is Kiran Singh. Now, Kiran, in her own words, is a mompreneur. She was originally born and raised in Norway and currently lives in London. She has uh, a residential and hospitality interior design background. She has done graphic design, web design, public relations, marketing. She's been all over the place. She is the editor-in-chief of Vivacious Mum Magazine and my, that's a great title, by the way, and My Unique Home Magazine. She does so much for her community, and I love her favorite quote, be thankful for all that you have, work hard for all that you desire, be intentional for the person you are becoming. I absolutely love that. You can find out more about Kieran and all of the women that we highlight on this Business Women Wednesday at bizwomenrock.com. Remember, this is the series where we shine the light on a woman who's part of the Business Women Rock community. So if you are interested in, in being considered for that, just go to bizwomenrock.com and you'll be able to see how you can fill out an application. And now, on with the show. My guest today is Karen Huff, who's the founder of Improv Edge. And Improv Edge is a very unique sort of consulting and education firm that really gets hired to do corporate and business training, but uses the lens of improvisation and creativity in order to do that effectively. She's had some very significant clients, including Coca-Cola, Victoria's Secret, um, Cardinal Health, the U.S. Army, and so she's really going to share with us how she has built up a a firm and a practice that actually is able to get into those clients, as well as a bunch of other really great things behind the scenes on how her business works and how she's evolved as a businesswoman. And I'm excited to announce that her brand new book, Be the Best Bad Presenter Ever, it's a hard one to say three times fast, (laughs) um, just came out literally yesterday. So now she has got such a cool background. She has gone through Second City, you know, the um, the improvisational troupe that's in Chicago that is kind of like the leader into Saturday Night Live. Anyway, and so she's got such a cool history and um, that she really brings to all of this. And I, I told her in the very beginning, I was like, okay, so in preparation for this and in honor of this, I'm actually going to do this entire um, interview improv style, no notes, no nothing. 
you know, what you what you may or may not know is that I prepare and I do a lot of research for every single guest that's on the show. And I make sure that I'm prepared with a bunch of questions for them. And I deliberately do not go down that list, you know, question by question. But I want it as sort of a reminder. So I'm keeping tabs on where I am. And I, I know to ask the questions I really wanted to know. But I threw that entire thing away for this interview. And we totally just rolled with it. And we had such a blast. So... Turn up your volume. You're going to love this one. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm laughing so hard because our prior conversation to going live was literally like, um, okay, so, you know, we're going ready. Let's, you know, clear our throats. Let's have some water. And hey, by the way, I bet I bet you're Miss, Miss Improv. I bet you have some cool little tips on how to like get ready for this. And you said... Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, they're in my new book, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Okay, what's a a little tip? You know, is there like a little la, 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 (laughs) la? Yes, yes, there is. There is. There's like a whole chapter on using your voice and how great your voice is as a tool for businesswomen, for speakers, whatever it is. And so it's, uh, it's warming up. Actually, get this. It's kind of funny. Pretend like you have peanut butter stuck all over your teeth. Oh, boy. So if you move your tongue around like you're trying to get peanut butter, you know, it's kind of hard to get that off your teeth. (laughs) Right. You're going to start to feel the blood flowing and you will be able to articulate much better. What a great idea. Very, very nice. Nice. Well, thanks for starting us off with that nice little exercise. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I'm so excited to have this conversation today because um, your company, Improv Edge, is all about a foundation of utilizing improv and improvisational skills to bring that into the creativity of business, which is so out of this world and different from anything else that I've ever heard. And so I really want to, I want to, you know, make sure that we're getting the story as to how you've even come about with that idea and what you're implementing and what that business really looks like for you, some of your things that you've experienced along on your journey. But at, in celebration of this improv conversation, I'm throwing away my notes and I'm just going to be able to go off the seat of my pants and uh, have a nice conversation with you. So I do want to start. Thank you. Thank you. I do want to start where we always start, which is give us a little bit of your background so that we can really understand why this has even been an interest to you and and what really sparked you moving into this space. Uh, Sure, sure. So, you know, I think we've all had more than one life, especially I think women moving into entrepreneurial spaces. So um, I actually started working on the stage at the age of five, and I became a professional around 14, getting paid for some of my work. So I'm one of those weird, strange people that loves to be on stage. I love to be in front of people. And when I went to Yale as an undergrad, I learned how to do improv comedy. So this was a new art form for me. And improv is where five or six actors get up on stage. We do not have a script. We don't have props. We don't have costumes. We don't have makeup. We have nothing that normal theater actors have. What we do have is about two hours and maybe 100 people in the audience. Go. It, it, it's incredible. It's the most incredible work I've ever done. I loved it. It's highly, highly collaborative and completely in the moment. And so when I left college, I was very lucky. I got to train with the Second City and perform with them briefly. And I went off and got a great agent and had a huge career. So I did film and TV and radio and improv and Shakespeare. 
And I, I was just very lucky. I had a great agent, and I had a, an excellent career. So my question there is that obviously you learn things right away from the beginning of learning how to improv. Of, of I would imagine, first and foremost, how to deal with fear of the unknown, which is directly yeah. applicable to business. So can you talk a little bit about what you learned there, maybe what your personal experience was about learning how to get on the stage in front of 100 people with two hours and no script? Like, what was that like? And what did you have to overcome? And how did you do that? Well, that's the thing is that the unknown is actually the stock and trade of improv. And so many people are afraid of what's coming next if they don't know exactly what it is. But I think that that fear goes away, which was a huge help to me as an entrepreneur and a business person. Because whatever is unexpected and whatever you don't see coming is what's coming. So the way that we learn to cope with that, number one, uh, that I love is that improv is a team sport. It's not stand-up comedy. There was always somebody else on stage for me to lean on. And if there wasn't somebody on stage, there was somebody in the audience that I could go to. And I think that sense of collaboration and that there is an answer out there, maybe not in my head, but in someone else's, again, it's such a translatable idea to business because I, I know we're, we are constantly running into things we've never done before or never experienced before and we're trying to build a business or trying to build a career and that sense of you know the answer is there I might stumble a little but what I do is I get up and I try again and I kind of laugh and and keep moving forward so that is a basic and very foundational principle of what we do it it helps people handle risk and it takes away the fear of messing up because you're going to. So if you stop worrying about it and know that something else great is going to come out on the other end, well, when you mess up, you always learn something and something really cool could come out of it. So again, all these principles help me to do well. I think that's a great concept and very, very true in the sense of, you know, you hear in entrepreneurialism a lot like fail fast, fail fast. And even if you even take that out of the context of failing, you know, the idea of practicing improvisational skills or the idea of practicing not knowing and practicing having to deal with a blank slate in front of you, the more that you practice that, the better you get at it and the more skilled you become at being able to deal with that room of 100 people, two hours and no script, you know, like you're able to actually be really good at thinking on your feet, which is a great skill to know in business. Boy, no kidding. No kidding. Um, So often I was in front of someone in business and I wasn't quite sure if we could do it, but I knew what they wanted and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll say yes. That's the first principle of improv. Say yes first and then go to your team and figure out how to make it work. Oh, I love that. Do you have an example of maybe, you know, those early years when you just completely, you know, in the film space, in improv space, just kind of totally flubbed up, fell on your butt and just had to to step up and and do it all over again? Oh, Katie, that's how I've lived my life. My (laughs) entire life. Are you kidding? Not just the early space. I'm talking yesterday. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I I just I think I must have just come out that way. I tend to jump first in my in my older age. I've found that I I'm a little more thoughtful now. I try to really see see things coming. But um, you know, gosh, the, again, there are so many examples when um, I may have gone into an audition and decided I was going to make a really big bold choice. And on auditions, it's actually important to do that. You don't want to be milk toast. You want to be the one they remember. Well, sometimes the big, I would decide, well, this, this monologue I'm reading, I'm going to decide that the character's angry instead of just saying the words. Or I'm going to decide this character is, is hysterically laughing and, and has a joke to tell. Well, sometimes that was completely the wrong big choice to make, and I didn't get the part. But 
what happened is that they remembered me. They remembered that I took a risk. It wasn't right for that time, but they'd say, you know, she was really gutsy. Let, let's go back and give her a look for this other character in another play six months later because she could just be perfect. Again, how many times do we go for the contract, go for the partnership, um, maybe take a big, big risk? It's scary in business because it's often monetarily, and it might not go so well. But, you know, here's the thing. If, if you are really delivering, if you're trying your hardest, they'll remember you, and maybe the next year you will get the contract. You know what I think the key to that is, is having practiced it so much, I'm sure you got really good or uh, about overcoming, kind of beating yourself up for the for the times that it didn't work out. You know, I, I don't know, you know, if every single person goes through that, but I know it tends to be somewhat common with a lot of women where if we don't get, if we don't get it on that first try and we're not 100% right out of the gate, you know, we can oftentimes kind of beat ourselves up in addition to this failure that we've just had. It kind of takes a lot to learn the lesson versus oh man, why why wasn't I so perfect right out of the gate, you know? But I think practicing that, you know, practice, practicing and getting really comfortable with the failure, getting really comfortable with trying and taking the big risks and maybe having it not work, you get really good at saying, okay, it is what it is, move on, let's learn the lesson and continue. You know what, I think it's an amazing point. And I won't, I won't say that I don't beat myself up every now and then. Uh, we can't necessarily get away from that. But when you've been an actor, auditioning and getting roles is a numbers game. And you have to get so many auditions into your funnel to have a couple of parts come out on the other end that you start to get a thicker skin. And that, again, you're right. It did help me a lot. If, if something didn't come through as a business person, I'm like, well, you know, pick yourself up, maybe have one little evening to wallow a little bit, but the next morning you've got to get back on the horse and, and fill that funnel because sooner or later you'll get a, you'll get a gig. Um, and, you know, you're not going to get it by being sorry for yourself. Mm. That's so great. And, and here's the other thing. You, you don't want the contract or the part if it's not right for you. So take us take us through the transition. So you, you know, had done uh, The Second City. You had been in films, been in TV, uh, had had this whole acting, acting and uh, improvisational career. And then what happened? How did that lead you into your company? <laughs> well, this is the goofy part. Uh, I married a banker. And we moved to New York, and you would think that that would be the moment where, wow, I'm in New York, it's going to be great, because um, I had worked there a lot already, but I started getting nothing but commercial work, which pays extremely well and is very boring, <laughs> and I, I really, right, we all get into it to do the artistic stuff, and I just, I needed something new, I'd been doing acting for years, I wanted a challenge, I wanted to jump off a cliff, and plus, I never saw my adorable new husband because he worked all day and I worked six nights a week, you know, and evenings. And so literally it was sort of um, the mid to late 90s when the Internet was absolutely taking off in New York and in Silicon Alley. Um, and, you know, my husband just said, honey, why, why don't you just look into this? And I said, I know nothing about it. He said, that doesn't matter. Just go take a, take a look. And I got a job. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I had no background in IT whatsoever, but I gave an incredible interview. I was very honest about my shortcomings, but I also talked about my transferable skills, right? I was collaborative. I was great with people. I had sold before. And I ended up working with startups, and I had this intense um, business education, Katie. I was able to work with one startup in network engineering that went public, so I got to be involved in that entire process. I was then I, I stayed in network engineering, I went to another startup and they were acquired, which is a totally different kind of experience. And then I remained with one that was private. And you know, you, you learn about stock options, you learn about business very intensely. It's those 
80-hour weeks. It's cramming every night. Uh, it was awesome. And it was a completely separate sort of world. And this is where the transition began to happen. I was way more successful than I should have been. (laughs) Okay, I knew nothing about what I was doing. But I did know how to sort of think of unusual situations. I knew how to collaborate with people. I knew how to think on my feet. And those skills started to really resonate for me. So the transition to the business occurred because a good friend of mine was sort of doing the same thing. She had been an improviser and gone into banking. And she was getting her MBA at Wharton, and she came to me and she said, you know, I I took an entrepreneurial class, and I want to write a paper on the idea that improv can help you be a better business person. And so we we started talking and collaborating and messing around, and we came up with the idea of a training company. And her professor thought it was a great idea, and he said, hey, (laughs) use my class as a guinea pig. And so for the next eight years, I got to test all of my theories at Wharton. Wow, what a great opportunity and a great platform. Crazy luck, yes. So what we were looking at is can we prove, without just being anecdotal, but can we actually look at psychology? Can we look at neuroscience and OD? Can we prove that our ideas about the behaviors of improv, that they belong in the corporate setting, that that they are meaningful, that they are found in high-performing leaders and teams? And yes, we were able to prove that. So were you still working your job with with those companies uh, while you were working at Wharton or while you were doing these classes at Wharton with your friend? Oh, yeah. It was was sort of a research project. It was just a a hobby, kind of a love thing. Gotcha. So you guys were working working on this on the side. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. what kind of stuff were you doing with those companies, the company that went public, the company that stayed private, the company that got acquired? Like, what, what were those actual practical things that you were doing on a regular basis with them? I was running their sales team, so I opened a regional office for one of them, and I was helping to expand their their client base. I had to learn a lot about technology and uh, about clients and partnerships, and it, it was fabulous. So at what point, after these eight years of kind of, uh, you know, working through and processing the, all of these ideas and theories that you guys were having and really coming to something set, at what point did you really say, okay, we've got something, let's start this? Well, all along the way, we were getting clients, okay, here and there, squeezing them in whenever we could. Um, We took a long break when I left New York, um, went back to Chicago again, and and ended up having another baby. So, right, that's always a moment where we all need to pause. And um, my husband's family is in Columbus, Ohio, and he wanted to move back. They needed him to come back and, and help with the family firm. And so I had to quit my job. And so I land here in a city I've never been in, and I don't have a job. And it was this moment of, well, I've got this thing that I love on the side. What can I do with it? So I just got a phone line in my basement. And by 2005, I bought out my partners, um, including my original friend. She, she wanted to just remain in an advisory role and incorporated because I had such momentum going at that point, I really could see it happening. So can you can you get a little deeper into this whole buying out your partner thing? So what partners did you have? You had yeah. you had one of your girlfriends, and then what other partners did you have? Mm-hmm. And what steps did you actually have to go through? What did that entail, actually having to buy out your partners? Sure, I had another friend from Yale, um, a, a male friend, and they're both involved in the business still on an advisory side, and they help whenever they can. Um, but we had all put money into the original idea and trying to sort of get it launched, and I was the one that was driving it. Um, so I was here in Columbus. The, the thing that a lot of people don't know about Columbus, Ohio, is that it is the seat of many, many headquarters. 
So I could get in my car and in 20 minutes be in front of a decision maker that could write a check. So I was suddenly able to get very impressive clients like Victoria's Secret and Worthington Industries and Nationwide Insurance on my client list. And once I had that, I could go to any city in the nation. So um, what was happening is that I was really getting involved more and more and running the business myself. And my friends who were still in New York were very interested, but input could only be anecdotal and now and then and whenever they had time. So I kept trying to convince them that this is something we all should jump off the cliff and do this full time and, and really take the leap, get some financing. And they just, they, they didn't feel like it was their path. So in that way, I, I needed to be able to buy out their share become 100% owner and take us where I needed to go because at that point they were really starting to slow it down and I could see things that maybe they didn't think were possible. So I went to several banks. Uh, a couple of them patted me on my head and sent me away. Uh, one of them asked me where was my husband. Oh, boy. Not kidding. Wow. Yeah. One of them said, well, we won't talk to you about a business loan, but we can talk about refinancing your house. So um, Todd, my husband, who's always been really behind me, we used our house and our credit cards and um, bought it out and took off from there. So obviously yeah. now now you have 100% of the business. Now you're totally on fire, can make every decision that you want for yourself. Can you can you give us a little background as to how you actually really did get some of those big clients? Yes, they're 20 minutes down from your house, but how did you actually get in front of them? How did you present to them? Like, What were the, some of those statistics uh, that really made them say, absolutely, we're bringing you on? Sure. I, I would say as different as they can be, and Katie, you probably had the same experience. So um, one of them was literally a cold call. I uh, called the, the main um, <laughs> the main front desk of Victoria's Secret. I asked enough questions. They finally put me through and put me through. And for some reason, the director of HR picked up his phone that day. And he was a very um, great guy, just really open to all sorts of ideas and was willing to listen to me for a minute. And so I talked to him about the idea and he said, all right, all right, so would you do a pilot? And and there we go. Uh, another instance was I wanted to continue my research but couldn't keep going back and forth to Wharton. So I found a wonderful organization, uh, Otterbein University here, which is a small university. I made a deal with their MBA professors to start testing my material with their MBA students. Well, one of their executive MBA students was also involved in the, um, the work of developing leaders at a multi-billion dollar steel industry. So... He introduced me to his boss, and that became one of our longest-running programs. I mean, it's all about getting out there and trying, and certainly there are clients here that I've been trying to get for a long time and still don't have. But I got out and met people. I tried to find out. I read the papers like crazy. If there was a need that I saw in a paper that I thought I could meet, I would, of course, um, call the company, try to find out who was running that initiative, talk about our capabilities, um, go to events in the community, anything I could do to start to make connections because those are always the most positive way to get business. So can you walk us through your entire business model? Like what um, education, consulting, um, help, you know, programming are you actually doing? Why are these companies bringing you on and what does that program look like? How, what is your entire business model? So the top line of what we do is we change behavior. 
So we are out to make adults better at what they do, happier in their jobs. We change behavior. We are a skills-driven company. We don't do strategic planning, nothing of that. We are about what do you do every day that makes everything work, right? Strategy doesn't happen unless the everyday behaviors are in place. Now, the way that we make that training engaging and meaningful and fresh is through improvisation. So all of our content areas are anything that you would see at AMA or another major training place. But it's far more engaging and interesting when it comes from improv edge. So we deal a great deal with negotiation. Um, we also cover executive presence. Presentation skills is one of our biggest areas. We've trained now over 1,000 people just in presentation skills. We also do a great deal in change management. And as you may imagine, creativity and innovation is a huge area for us. We've been covering that for years because there's so much around how do we um, manage frontline innovation, how do companies innovate, et cetera. Um, so, and leadership development, I would say, is certainly one of our most impressive areas. Now, because of who I am and I'm so passionate about it, I also do a ton of my own work in gender studies. So I have a whole separate area around women in negotiation, what are the pitfalls and advantages of women specifically in that arena of negotiation, and also around things like executive presence. Where, where do we get in our own way? Where do we not have the confidence we should? Um, what are some of the backlash that we deal with? And I, I write a lot on that. Um, we do a great deal in inclusion and diversity. I'm, I'm proud to say my ensemble is very diverse, and we address that in the work that we do with our clients. So it's all of the major content you would think would come from a very skills-based company, but it's driven by the idea that improv and is a fresh way to take a look at how we behave together and how we're effective as a company. I love that. That is very cool. You know, I know that oh. there there are so many women out there who um, whose business is really um, kind of doing this consulting and doing this skills-based consulting in the way that you're talking about, obviously with their own tweaks and personalities and, and experience coming behind it. Um, but I want, if you could share your advice with some of our listeners who might have that, who might have a particular area of expertise and they want, they know that they have a good programming, they know that it gets results and they're trying to get out there to get the clients because um, I, I don't think that that's an easy sell. If you don't have your your little, you know, pitch ready, if you don't know how to exactly present it in a way that's very, um easily digestible from your potential clients, it could be like, oh, why am I going to bring you in to, you know, do team development, you know, with my team? How are you, can you give some advice to the women out there or to any of our listeners who want to be able to have that business model, they want to be able to do it effectively and successfully and how they can really build their clientele? Yeah. So first of all, get a lot of advice and talk to people who do this better than you do. So, for example, understanding how to position my company is, is a constantly evolving process. It is tough because, um, you know, we're asking people, we're somewhat, we're somewhat out there. We're, we're different than what they've seen before, and we're asking them to, to commit developmental dollars. So I do everything I can to help them see why it's useful. I keep track of all of our results and statistics. I ask my clients who loved our work to give testimonials. Um, and I talk to other companies like branding companies around how do we go to market effectively? Or if you were, if you were to do my pitch, what would it sound like? What do you think was most effective in the work that we did for you? Um, I also, you know, try to just, just keep learning. Um, whenever I have a chance to maybe do some free research or a free workshop with a group that could give me something in return that's very valuable, do it. 
you know, take take your stuff out there, uh, get in front of some audiences or get in front of some potential people that could be your clients and, and have a little give and take. Don't just give away your stuff, but give it away at a place where you can get feedback or you can get some value or get a client list or something else. So think about what you can trade. Um, I did a ton of swaps, especially early in my um, growing up my business that, that were incredibly helpful and effective. Did I, is that sort of what you were asking? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, okay. I think that I just, to bring that, that point home, I think that there are so many women who turn to consulting because they have seen that this pattern or this program that they have created mostly out of their own experience can be very effective. And there's a, you know, how do you differentiate yourself from every other person out there who says, yes, my program that I've created is also very effective. And how are you getting in front of the, uh, those big clients or the, those significant clients who are ideal for you? You know, I think that that's the, the, the market sort of flooded with a lot of those people. So how do you really differentiate yourself? And how do you make impact there? So, yeah. Well, that, that's absolutely the it of it, yes. And, you know, honestly, figuring out how you pitch yourself and having that elevator pitch is critical. And you, you hit the nail on the head, Katie. What is different about you? And it seems to me more and more that the market is going to specificity. So especially if you are uh, just beginning or maybe a solopreneur right now, doing 100 things is really not going to help you. You've got to figure out what it is that you do exceptionally well. And there may be a lot of other people doing it, but if you continue to be the best person providing that, then that's your differentiation. What have what have been some of your biggest challenges that you've had throughout, throughout these years of building your business? Boy, talent is a big challenge for me. Um, I... I, for, for example, for my delivery ensemble, my artistic ensemble, the ones who do these workshops and these trainings when we're in person, because we also have online and e-learning and things like that. When it's in person, they have to be a very rare combination. They have to not only have a significant business background and be great teachers, but they also have to have a significant performance background because improv is wrapped into everything we do. Um, even my project managers, boy, I had a run of just having the hardest time finding a great project manager. So, so that's been really tough. Um, you know, I think helping, understanding, again, how to get my business uh, positioned in the right way, I'm feeling really great about where we are right now. But as an entrepreneur with something so different, you know, corporate training paired with improv was so unusual. It took a long time for us to figure out how to talk about it so that it didn't go on forever and people could get it and want it and take that leap. Because once a client tries it, I am so proud to say, Katie, they stay with us. They love they love our material. But it's taking that first step that's always the challenge. How do you manage your team? Like who is a part of your team? How many people does it take to make sure that your business runs well? There are a lot of different components to what you're doing. So what does what does your actual team structure look like and how do you manage that? Sure, sure. So um, everyone who's really critical is an employee. Uh, let's see, designers, because we do a ton of design, project managers, sales and marketing, also coordination. Um, my assistant, my coordinators are the people that make sure the events come off, but also coordinate travel of all the facilitators that are out there. Um, gosh, it's just amazing how many logistics seem to be involved in the work that we do. Also with you know social media and also creating our online presence. So all those folks are, are employees, and I've tried having them be part-time or, or contract, but that was really part of some of the early issues. I, I need them to 
think, eat, and drink improv edge every day. Now, um, my artistic ensemble is almost completely contractor. So what that helps me do is manage ups and downs because we, we're very cyclical. Um, our clients tend to have certain times of the year that they're very, very busy or not. And also, it actually helps me get better talent because I talked about that rare combination. And some of the people that do facilitation for me are really incredible people. They're professors. They are leaders. They're writers. Uh, they are business people. So they've got other cool things that they love to do, but they love to come work at Improv Edge because it's fun and creative. But I can't get them full-time. I can only get them part-time. Can you talk a little bit about your plans for scale? Because when you talk about consulting and coming in and doing workshops, I mean, that's very an in-person thing that really is driven by you kind of leading the pack coming in. You did talk about online workshops and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit more about what your plans are to scale and how you want to grow the business out? Yeah, I'm really excited about this, too, because for so long, uh, because we're such a high-touch model, we were almost exclusively in person. But the cost of that is very difficult, and it again, the scale issue comes up because uh, finding the right people can be tough. So we have that. It's the core of our business. It works very well. We've also finally, I've been looking at e-learning now for, oh gosh, five years, and I think I've finally found a partner who gets us because... The e-learning has to be incredibly engaging. It has to be very different in order to show our brand. So we're going to be producing e-learning around the content that we talked about. And then also we love to do live digital work. So webinars are incredibly important. Podcasts like what you're doing now, we do with leaders within our clients. Um, so that's, that's been really fun because live interaction on a digital platform is something we do very well. There are so many different ways to do that. Adobe Connect and Google Hangouts and webinars that then can be recorded, very effective ways to scale to provide value to clients who have people all over the world and, and want to interact with them and train them. Um, oh, <laughs> I wanted to talk about your book. So um, you oh, cool. recently have come out with a book and you have written multiple books, but can you talk about your, your book you just released and can you talk a little about a couple of things? Number one, what the process was like to actually write, because I want to make sure that people who are listening, who are interested in writing a book for the purpose that you wrote it or, you know, making their brand bigger, making their knowledge, you know, kind of available to a global market, know what's actually entailed in that process. Sure. So I am very unusual, Katie. I was extremely lucky. I, I have been talking about writing a book for years and a friend of mine went to his publisher and said, I think you really should talk to Karen. So I actually had a publisher come to me. Oh, wow. I had also been putting together ideas. I had been looking at self-publishing for a while, which is another great option. But for me, I, I had decided after that process that I really wanted to wait until I found a publisher. So my first book was very much about improv edge, the art of using improvisation in business, how that works. It was full of a ton of great stories from our clients. So, so that was super, and I cannot tell you what it did for the business. It was incredible to work with a professional publisher. My editors were awesome. Uh, there was one at the end who was a line editor I couldn't stand. He was so fussy. <laughs> he made me go back to the library a million times. But it, it only made me stronger because it reminded me that you never say anything unless you have your citation, unless you know what you're talking about, unless your research is absolutely ironclad which I had always respected, but really he made me, he reminded me how on top of it we have to be mm. as business owners and as, you know, writers. So that was great. And what was really neat about this next one, it actually launches on May 13th. 
And this was, you know, you write one book with your publisher and they come back and they convince you to do another one and you think, oh, it'll be just the same. It is completely different. (laughs) There is nothing the same about the second time around. Um, I had a different editor who was great. Uh, There was a lot of terror. I had turned in the whole first draft and almost killed me getting it done because it was our busiest year. And after looking at it, he kind of said, I think we're going to need to rewrite the whole thing. Oh, my goodness. You know, and, and that's just you just think you're going to curl up and die. But, it, you know, he was right. All the content was there, but the tone was wrong. So it was going into a fall that was busier than anything we'd ever had. I rewrote that entire book on planes. Oh I'm not gosh. kidding. I was on a plane for the whole thing. But got it done, right? Um, it's been amazing this, this time around. We've really had to think a lot about how we uh, promote the book. I actually have... Out there, I think I posted it on the Huffington Post or the women's book. I, I blogged for both of them on three considerations if you're pitching a book to a publisher. So that's a really nice article for people thinking about pitching a book. It'll give you some idea of what to think about because even publishers want to know how you're going to market the book. What kind of reach do you have? Who will you try to sell it to? Um, for example, on May 13th, I'm going to have a huge party here in Columbus to launch the book. It's available for pre-order on Amazon, so if you uh, would like to support me, go out on Amazon and look for Be the Best Bad Presenter Ever. Awesome. Break the rules. Go ahead. What's Break the, the rules, make mistakes, and win them over. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And there will also be a, a direct link to that in the show notes for this episode, so everyone will be able oh, to have access you. to that. Absolutely. So uh, the, the title came out of a really great conversation. It's, it's very cheeky. It's very fun to read, very easy read. And the idea is that, you know, we've, we've trained almost a thousand people and so many of them walk into the classes and they think that they're bad. They think they're bad presenters, but you know what? They're not. They're just a little bit stiff and uncomfortable because they have been following old, outdated, useless rules of presenting that are not about you being you. They're about standing next to the screen and holding your arm straight. So the really good presentations I've seen in my life are from people who are passionate, who are being completely themselves. They might mess up a little bit, but I don't care because I see this interesting, passionate person on stage. And the book is about, you know, breaking all the old rules. For example, one thing not to do is don't practice in front of a mirror. That's one of the rules that I break, and I tell you why and give you other options for practicing that I think are more about being you and being effective. It's really fun. It breaks all the rules. Um, my community chose the title and the cover, and the cover has this huge rubber chicken on it. It's hysterical. And uh, we're really excited about how the book's going to go. We're getting a ton of feedback about how it really talks a lot about confidence, about being yourself and being effective. Now, what effect has these books had on your business? Obviously, you have yet to totally feel the effects of this one coming out, but you know, you've written books in the past. What, what effects do you think that that has had on your business, and what, where is that in your business model? Greater effects than we expected, Katie. The first book was an Amazon bestseller. Again, totally unexpected by both the publisher and myself. And it had all of the things that we had always been doing at Improv Edge. It had case studies that we had already completed. But for so many new clients, it was a checkbox. It was a point of credibility. It was an, oh, yes, they, they must know what they're doing. Okay, let's go ahead and book them. It really helped our sales process. It helped our standing in the community and in the training community. And I was being asked to write for things like ASTD. 
So the next book, again, seems to be doing that. I've already been featured in Inc. Um, there are some excerpts from the new book there. And it, it sort of shows that we do know what we're talking about, that we're a company you can come to for your, your training needs. And again, there's so many check boxes these days with such a crowded market like you talked about. You want to give your clients as many ways to trust and want to come to you as possible. Karen, what keeps you fired up throughout all of this? Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. You mean to get up and do this every day? It's when someone comes up to me that I worked with six years ago. And this is a real, this, the, the, there are many of these real, real stories. I'll tell you one of a young man who came up to me and he said, I ran into him. I didn't know who he was. He came up and he said, Karen, you ran an Otterbein workshop with me. That would have been years ago when I first came to Columbus. And he said, it not only made me a better business person, but what really happened is it made me realize I could be a better dad and a better husband. Oh, wow. And he said, I used all of the techniques that you told me to use at work, at home. And he said, it saved my marriage. I, I feel like I'm giving more to my family, and I just want to thank you. Wow. So every time I think about that, right? So it's a moment of knowing that you're actually contributing and you're making a difference. And I also feel that everybody should get to love what they do. And if something I can give them helps them be really effective and, and just be the most awesome manager or the most fabulous sales rep or whoever they are, th that is so fulfilling to me. Now, you mentioned that you have, you have kids. How many kids do you have? Three. You have three kids. So how, yeah. in, in this, you know, passion for your business and growing your business, how do you manage being a wife and being a mother and being a friend and being a daughter and being, you know, a sister, <laughs> maybe, you know, like, how do you manage all of those roles? And um, what, what sort of habits do you have um, that make sure that you're, you know, honoring every single one of those roles of who you are? Sure. Well, one woman gave me a great out. I was talking to her about this, and she said, you can have it all, you just can't have it all at the same time. So that really, when we talk about balance, we think that every day has to be balanced, and that's not actually true. So some days, especially if I'm traveling with a client, I may only have 15 minutes on the phone with my family, and that's all I interact with them that day. But I am taking really, really good care of my business and my client and working very hard that day. Now, the other nice thing about being an entrepreneur is that if something important is happening in my kids' lives, I don't have to ask anybody's permission. You know, I'm going to take the whole day, or I'll take whatever I want to go be with them at the important point that they need me there. Um, another thing is certainly while they were little, and actually one of my kids, my, my little tag-along is still just in fourth grade, I try to stop when he walks through the door. And then once the family's fed and we've done all that together, then I start work up again in the evening. So I get to choose when I work so that I can try to be there for the important things. And I'd say for my community, I really love to volunteer. I'm involved in a lot of things like the Women's Book, um, the Women's Fund, the American Heart Association, and I bring my kids with me. Mm, so that's great. I, yeah, I took my daughter out of school today, actually, for something that was about um, Girl Scouts and girls in the community. She's not a Girl Scout, but she is a, a blogger, and she's really effective and, and really passionate, and I wanted her to see this. And so I, I, I bring them with me. 
Now, I think that's really interesting because so many of the women that I've spoken to on this show have kids and they, being an entrepreneur or being a businesswoman, wherever that might lie for them, has had a major impact on their kids. So what, what impact, you mentioned your daughter being a blogger, like what impact has your business had on your kids? You know, what sort of lessons have they learned about business? Like how does, what, where does that exist in your family and what has that created? Oh, gosh. Wow. Well, they, they've only started really talking about it in the last few years, and it's been fun for me to realize that they all do some work for me. So they get paid a little bit to do everything from shred papers to now my 16-year-old son is going to start working on the website. Nice. Um, so, so they understand it's, it's a group effort. They also know that uh, sometimes, and, and by the way, I made it sound so great like I can always be there for them, but I do miss things sometimes. Sometimes Something gets booked with a client, but I have to be out of town, and then I find out there'll be something at the school. Well, I have this awesome husband that we always try to make sure if he's out of town, I'm here, and vice versa. So there will be at least one parent there, and they they really understand that. But they also, it's interesting, they they seem to see the world as a place where they can do stuff. I feel like that might be the most significant thing that's happened because my husband's family is entrepreneurial as well. So they see it from both sides that if I want to try something, I can. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll try something else. And I really hope that they keep that and hold on to it. Do you hold like little improvisational comedy sessions with them at all? (laughs) (laughs) I try to. They're not as game as they used to be. If you have kids do it. They, they can see me coming from a mile away. They'll, you know, they, if you have kids do improv exercises, you get completely different outcomes from adults, and that's awesome. I think that's so cool. We used to, um, there's six kids in my family, and when we were growing up, we oh, were wow. sort of this, we were like the Von Trapp family. There's five girls and one boy, and we always <laughs> used to, you know, do the... Um, uh, the church talent shows. We used to put on dance routines for my parents' friends who would come over. I mean, we had like our oh. stage in the living room. I, we had so much fun. We still to this day have a mad Copacabana song by Barry Manilow. Thank you very much. And <laughs> like, I, I got to tell you, like, it was so much fun to create and play and, you know, just be able to do that with a group of people. And I, I haven't thought about that in quite some time, actually, until you, you know, you kind of bring up this idea of like, let's play together and let's, you know, try all of this out. And you kind of get a sense for what that could do if you're willing to take that risk of having fun and just letting loose, just like we used to do when I was a kid. You know, I can't imagine, you know, what your kids have been able to learn from that. That's pretty cool. Well, Karen, I really want to conclude this conversation um, with making sure that we really understand, you know, what vision you see for your company. Like, what do you see in the future? What is it you really want? What What's your big impact? Where do you want to go? I want to continue to help people lead better lives at work. I want to tackle more content. I'd like to continue to grow, but I do see a lot of possibilities. I think the possibility of being acquired is definitely out there because what we bring is so fresh and so engaging. I've, I've already had lots of much, much larger companies want to partner with us, which is very exciting because we bring a completely fresh sort of um, approach to content that a lot of people are used to seeing, like negotiation, Okay. So I, I like to think that the world is wide, and I see possibilities of acquisition. I see possibilities of growing and staying a boutique provider. I see possibilities of maybe starting another business. But I don't really know what the future is going to bring, because I certainly didn't see Improv Edge coming. So uh, I, I try to stay open, and I try to investigate as many possibilities as possible. 
Karen, I really want to thank you so much for sharing your story here with us today. Absolutely zero notes did I look at this whole time. Thank you very much. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and it was a great conversation, of course. So thank you. Thank you so much for rolling with me this whole time. And, um, and just such a great story. And big congratulations to you because I love that not only did you really have the um, confidence to really just go in and provide something so unique and so different, but that you truly make it happen. Like you knock down the doors, you, you know, keep moving forward and, um, and you're just constantly creating new ways of being able to, to make the impact that you want. So big congratulations. Thank you so much for, for truly, you know, giving us a great picture as to how this business has been for you. And, uh, you know, I know I took so many things from it. So thank you very much, Karen. Oh, Kitty, thank you. And such a, such a pleasure to be part of your successful podcast. Thanks for having me. You can get the show notes for today's conversation with Karen at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 41. So what did you think? How did we do with no edits and completely improvising the whole conversation? Pretty good, right? <laughs> Karen was so much fun to talk to. I hope you had as much of a good time as I did she was just brilliant, and I highly recommend you go support her and go get her book. It's awesome. And you can get that, by the way, on the show notes. Remember that the private exclusive group just for the Business Women Rock community is now open. It's called BWR Connect, and all you have to do to participate and to be a part of the community is to go to bizwomenrock.com, go opt in, and you will get all the instructions on how to do an easy click to get into our private Facebook group, okay? I hope to see you there. Thank you so much again for being here. I will see you on the next episode. You still there? Look, I can do improv all day long, but I got to tell you, it is a very scary, high stress thing. <laughs> I much prefer to be prepared. <laughs>